It's a little ironic. We found that video a couple months ago and had no idea that I would be speaking to an empty room. Happy Easter Arbor. Gosh, we miss you. I miss you. I miss seeing your beautiful faces, but I hope that you are well. We hope that you are doing good and being safe, and welcome to Easter Sunday. It is good to be with you. I'm not sure if you thought about this before, but the very first Easter, the very first Easter was observed by the disciples locked in a house for their protection. And here we are. 2,000 years later, and we are locked in our houses for our protection. I'm pretty sure all of us, like them, could use some good news. And so here you go. The good news is this. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. In fact, that's not just good news. That is great news. That is the best news ever. Finding 20 bucks in your pocket, that That is good news. Truly, that is good news. What a feeling, right? Having toilet paper in your house at this time is good news. Discovering the Tiger King on Netflix, that's maybe not good news, but at least it's a good distraction or so I've heard. Getting engaged, that's good news. Buying uh, a new house, that's good news. Finding out that you are pregnant, Depending on how many kids you have, that is good news. But the resurrection, the resurrection stands alone as life-altering, stop the press, stand up and do a backflip if you can, kind of good news. And today we get to talk about the greatest news in the history of news. And some people out there might consider it to be fake news, but the truth of the matter is the reality of the, rea- the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection split history. In fact, it is the pinnacle of history. It is the pinnacle of humanity, and I would even venture to say it is the pinnacle of all eternity. The resurrection is the foundation of our faith. Without it, our faith is meaningless. Our faith is meaningless. And friends, those those aren't just my words. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. Here's what he said. He said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching or the gospel, what I'm doing right now, is worthless. And so is your faith. Other translations use the word uh, useless, vain, delusional. Friends, our faith is not based upon doing good or being good. Hear me, it is based upon a singular event. Our faith, we don't believe what we believe because the Bible simply tells us so. We believe what we believe because of the resurrection. We believe what we believe because of an actual, factual event. This is not some once upon a time, you know, bedtime fairy tale kind of a thing. There were eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses who not only saw, but documented what they saw. Peter, for example, we're going to talk a lot about him today, but Peter, he said this, he said, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, and here it is, eyewitnesses of his majesty. John, 
Another disciple, in fact, the only disciple to watch Jesus die and one of the very first to, uh, to see him rise again. He not only witnessed everything, he documented as well in his gospel. James, probably the greatest example that we have, the half-brother of Jesus, and I say this every year because I think it is so great, the greatest evidence that we have that Jesus rose from the grave is his half-brother, James. Let me ask you, if you have a brother, what would your brother need to do to convince you that he was God? (laughs) Exactly. He would need to rise from the dead. Paul, also an eyewitness, recorded this. He said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and here it is, on the third day he was raised according to the Scriptures. After that, he appeared to more than, catch this, this is huge, 500 of his followers at the same time. 500 eyewitnesses, most of whom are still living. Key words here, still living, although some have fallen asleep, meaning that they died. The reason the words still living are key is because Paul is saying, hey, if you don't believe me, then go and ask them for yourself. They will tell you what they saw. And the answer is this, is that if, we, if, if they're wrong, if I'm lying, then they'll call you on it. They'll call me on it. And to top of that, there's Luke and there's Josephus. And, and these guys, they may not have witnessed the resurrection, but they thoroughly investigated the event. Luke is a doctor, and, and, and he recorded Christ's life um, and what happened here on earth by interviewing eyewitnesses like Jesus' mother, Mary. Josephus, he's actually a Jewish general who turned into a Roman historian, and he never, this is crazy, he never claimed to be a Christian, and yet he documented eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection in the antiquities of the Jew, a historical manuscript outside of the Bible. Friends, the evidence is overwhelming, and eyewitnesses is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just a sliver of the confirmation of the greatest news that has ever broken. And some of you are here, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, Jake, you know what? I I don't know. I don't know about all that. And if that's you, if that's you, and you have more questions than you have faith at this time, that's great. I'm glad you're tuning in today. But here's what I want to say is that three years ago I wrote a message called The Reality of the Resurrection. It's on our website. You can go back and you can listen to it. And what it does is it focuses on the truckload of of evidence that we have supporting this monumental event of the resurrection. But as for today, instead of trying to prove the good news, what I want to do is I want to focus more not on the reality of, but the result of the resurrection. And I'd like to do that through the perspective of Peter. We've been talking a lot as a church about Peter lately. We've been going through a series. And Peter, he, he is simply an ordinary man. He's a fisher man, a man who became a follower, who became a disciple, who became actually a really good friend, a dear friend of Jesus's. And the last time we left Peter, it was Friday. 
And, and honestly, Peter wasn't doing so well because on Friday, uh, Peter was sleeping and Jesus asked him, hey, whatever you do, just stay awake and pray with me. But he was sleeping. On Friday, Peter abandoned Jesus. When, when the guards showed up and things got tough, Peter ran. On Friday, Jesus told his disciples, all of you will fall away on account of me. And, but Peter, he insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then in a matter of hours, Peter was in a courtyard and he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times he denied Jesus and then a rooster crowed just like Jesus predicted. And it was in that moment that I'm assuming Peter's stomach dropped and he realized that he let Jesus down. And, and, and it's, scripture says Peter left the courtyard weeping Bitterly. Peter let Jesus down. And maybe that's why we relate to him the way that we do is because so many of us have let someone else down. So many of us have let Jesus down. When I was 12 years old, I was given the responsibility with my other sister to, uh, to watch my youngest sister who was three at the time. And we did the best job we could, and so we turned on the TV, and me and my older sister, we watched TV. And unbeknown to us, my little sister, who was three years old, she walked out the front door. We didn't notice. We didn't notice that she walked a quarter of a mile down the dirt road to the highway, and we didn't notice that some strange lady picked her up and put her in her car, and then frantically started to try to find where this little girl belonged. In fact, we didn't notice any of that. The only thing that we noticed is that when my mom came into the house holding our, our sister who is crying, uh, that, that, oh, there she is. And we had lost track of her for, I don't know, an hour. I, I'm a great babysitter. You can call me sometime. I'll watch your kids. I don't remember much. I just, I know this. After the beating that I got from my parents because this lady was driving around trying to find who this belonged to, ran into my mom. My mom came home, and man, I felt terrible. I had let my mom down. I had let my parents down. And we have all done it time and time again, and even we have let Jesus down. On Friday, Peter let Jesus down. But friends, thank goodness that that was just Friday. On Sunday morning, Jesus was dead. And Peter was hiding. He and the other disciples were locked in a room, locked in a house, terrified that all of a sudden the, the door would burst open and Roman soldiers would come in and they would drag them away. And he was scared of this because they were frightened that all of a sudden the, what happened to Jesus will soon happen to them. And in the midst of this fear with the disciples, Peter, he's, he's racked with regret. He is filled with shame. He is probably shocked thinking to himself, what the heck just happened? Like only a few days ago, I was, I was walking for the last three years. I've been with this, this teacher, and it's been great. And then in the matter of one night, all of a sudden, that's all gone, and it's done. And not only that, what I did, I denied him. I abandoned him. I, I let him down. He's probably thinking to himself, what now? What the heck do I do now? And while he's thinking this, 
While he's lost in thought, a knock comes at the door. And in that room filled with disciples, I'm sure it just went silent as they're wondering who is there. And so Peter, he got up and he went down the stairs and he went to the door and he could hear, not Roman soldiers, but he could hear the voices of women outside of the door. And so he opened up and he was relieved to see that there were three ladies, one of which was Mary Magdalene. But what's interesting is that he probably noticed something was off, that they were acting a little bit strange, kind of frantic. Mary is talking so fast. She's like, Peter, I, I, I was there. I was there. I, I went there to the tomb, and, and he wasn't there. And, and then there was this guy, at least, at least I think it was a guy, and, and, he, and he said, he showed us, he pointed, he said, he's not here. And he wasn't there, Peter. He wasn't there. And then he said, Go. He said, go, tell the disciples. And, and Peter, he told me to tell you that the tomb is empty. The exact words that Peter, or that the angel said to Mary was this. He, being Jesus, he is not here. He has risen. Look, this is where they laid his body. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. The words and Peter are incredibly insightful. What they do is they start to unpack what Jesus is thinking, and more specifically maybe as to whom Jesus is thinking about this. He's probably thinking, you know, he, he knows that, that what Peter walked through, he could use a personal invitation. I believe that Jesus specifically included Peter's name because Peter was down. Peter felt disqualified. People felt, he felt like he didn't belong, that he was no longer worthy to be a disciple. And so Jesus specifically added the words, and Peter, go tell the disciples, and Peter. And look at the response. Look at this response. But they, speaking of the disciples, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. But check this out. Peter, however, jumped up and ran to the tomb. Peter took off. When he heard his name, that was it. He was Usain Bolt. He was Forrest Gump all rolled into one. He took off and sprinted for the tomb. And I imagine as a fisherman, he's probably not in that great a shape. And so he found his way to the tomb out of breath, exhausted. But what John tells us is that he went right in, that he did not hesitate. Bending down, he, said, he talking about Peter, saw the empty wrappings. These are Jesus' burial garments. And then, this is interesting, and then he went back home, wondering to himself what had happened. Peter walks away confused. And that's a little confusing in itself because the angel told Mary that he had risen. And then Mary told Peter that he had risen. In fact, Jesus told Peter on many occasions, he foretold him that he would rise again. And so why in the world is Peter confused in this moment? Here's why. The reason Peter is confused is because he expected Jesus to do exactly what dead people do. And that is to stay dead, right? Nobody expected nobody. 
That is so good. That is so tweetable. You might want to pause this and, and, and tweet that out. Nobody expected nobody. In fact, no one was there. No one believed he was coming back. None of the disciples. No one was outside of the tomb going 10, 9, 8. Cue the music. 7, 6. Here we go. Nobody was there because everyone figured dead meant done. And so Peter, he, he, he walked away and he's trying to make sense of what he just witnessed, what he just saw. The tomb was empty. What does that mean? Now what happens next is very, very interesting to me. All four Gospels go on and tell us that Jesus appears to all of the disciples, to his crew, in one big group. He's with his band of brothers, and that is true. That did happen. But did you know that Jesus met with Peter privately before he met with his disciples collectively? Most Christians don't know that. And the reason that most Christians are unaware of that is simply because the Gospels really don't mention it. And where you have to find it is in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at what Paul wrote. He said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised. There it is, the resurrection. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And, here it is, that he appeared, here it goes, to Peter. And then, so that's after the fact, and then to the 12th. Peter met with Jesus privately. Jesus went to him privately before he went to the disciples publicly. They had a one-on-one, a knee-to-knee, an eye-to-eye conversation together. And so why would Jesus do this? And, And why would I even mention it? And what is the big deal? Here's the big deal. Here's my point. Jesus is personal. Jesus is personal. He is not some religion. He's not a ritual. He's not a movement. He's not some impersonal parole officer. He's not some detached being in some distant galaxy. Jesus is personal. He is an intimate friend. He is like a handwritten card on your birthday. He is the embodiment of care. And Jesus had a personal relationship with Peter. In fact, he's one of his best friends. And and Jesus knew that Peter is hurting and that he's hurting bad. And so what does Jesus decide to do? He decides to reach out to him personally. Now, unfortunately, we don't have any details of that one-on-one, knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye conversation. We don't know how Peter responded. We don't know what Jesus said. We don't know how many people, or, I mean, we don't know how, um, who was talking, who did the most talking. We don't know anything about it. We just know that they had a personal conversation, and so it's, we're left to imagine. And so based upon previous conversations, I imagine that the conversation probably started something like this. Probably started with Peter saying, how? How is this possible? How in the world are you standing here? I saw you die. I, 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 I buried you. How are you standing here? And I imagine Jesus would respond. 
how he responded by, before by saying, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, Peter, everything is possible. At that point, Peter could have responded the way that he met Jesus. When he saw the first miracle, what he said is he said, Lord, please leave me, for I am a sinful man. I've done so much wrong. I did so much wrong on Friday alone, Jesus. Get away from me. I am sinful. I am not worthy to be inside of your presence. And Jesus would have said, oh, Peter, like he said before, I have prayed for you, Simon Peter, that your faith may not fail. And Peter responds and he says, but it has, Lord. My faith has failed. I, I denied you. I abandoned you. Lord, I let you down. And Jesus would look at him and he would say, no, Peter, you never let me down because you were never holding me up. I hold you up with my righteous right hand. That's how our relationship works. I hold you up, not the other way around. And Jesus might have said, do you remember? Do you remember what I said, Peter? You asked me a question. You said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And you threw out this big number, Peter. You said seven times, and then I answered you. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, Peter, I forgave you back then, I forgive you now, and I'm gonna forgive you the next time. We are okay, you and I, we are okay. Because of what I just did, Peter, because of the cross and the, the reality of the resurrection, the proof there, Peter, you and I, we're okay. And that means you, Peter, you're gonna be okay. And friends, we don't have any of the details of that conversation. But the one thing that I know and that we know is this, is that Peter walked away forgiven. He walked away forgiven. Think about the release, the relief that must have left his shoulders, the, okay, it's okay. Peter left that place forgiven. I have often thought, and maybe you have too, that if Jesus were to come to me, and he were to have a personal knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye conversation, one-on-one, how would I respond? I don't know how I res- would respond. I might fall to my knees. I might just crumble in that moment. I know this. I know I would burst into tears. I don't even know if I would be able to speak if he was standing right in front of me. But if I could, if I could speak, I know exactly what I would want to ask him. First thing I'd want to ask him is, how is my little girl? I want to ask him how she's doing and tell her, tell him to say hi to her and that daddy's coming soon. He's going to be home soon. Mom says that if he keeps eating the way he's eating, he will be home really soon. After that, I would probably ask Jesus, are you proud of me? Are you proud of me? 
And I'd probably just say, I'm so sorry. I am so incredibly sorry. I have failed you. I have let you down so many times, time after time again. I have missed the mark. I have dropped the ball. And I am sorry. And I would plead and I would beg and I would ask him for forgiveness, but I wouldn't have to plead and I wouldn't have to beg because I know what Jesus would say. If I told him I let, I let you down, he'd say, no, son. He could be saying to you, no, daughter, you never let me down because you were never holding me up. I hold you up. That's how this relationship works. I hold you up. Friends, it's personal. Jesus is personal. Jesus is personal. You might have heard it said that it's not a religion and it's a relationship and that is so, so incredibly true. It's a personal relationship with the only one who has ever walked out of the grave, the only one to overcome death. And Jesus is calling you. He is calling you by name. Like he called Peter, he is calling you. And friend, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your checkered past. It doesn't matter the laundry list of things that you have let him down doing. Jesus is offering you a personal invitation by name, a personal invite into his glorious kingdom. It is personal. A while back when Maggie was sick, before she passed away, we were invited to Disneyland. We were given an invitation. Now, I have watched many commercials inviting us to Disneyland. You know, you see them all the time, but we got a personal invite from Anna and Elsa. We did not expect this. We didn't know that it was coming. All of a sudden, we got a personal invite from Anna and Elsa. And at the time, Frozen was all my girls could talk about. I want you to watch this invitation right now. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Maggie. I'm Anna. I'm Elsa. It's kind of nice to see you in there, sort of. <laughs> we were hoping that maybe you could come to Aaron Elsa sometime. Yeah. 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 And Elsa knew her name. And so within a month or a couple months, we took off as a family and we went to Disneyland and we got to meet. We got to connect with them. And when you go into those places, sometimes you get to go in for a quick shoot and you say hello. But they knew who we were and they were ready for Maggie to come. There was a personal invitation that was laid out. And we didn't spend just a quick photo shoot in there. We spent 15 to 20 minutes just talking to Anna and Elsa. It was amazing. My daughter's eyes were lit. Her heart was full. Friends, what I'm telling you is that you have a personal invitation. It's not in the mail. It's not in your junk folder. It is before you right here and right now. It is a personal relationship opportunity. It's an invitation from the one who walked out of the grave. And in just a moment, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to accept that invitation. But right now, before we do, before I do, I wanna close with this thought. 
near the end of Peter's life. This is at the very end, looking back on, on, on Friday, looking back on Sunday, on the cross, on the resurrection. Here's what Peter says when he sums it up. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into, here it is, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, what Peter is telling us is this, is that Jesus is our living hope. Jesus is our living hope. He is not dead. God is not dead. He is alive. He is active and he is available. And living now means this right now. He is here right now. And in a time that is filled with fear, in a time that is smothered with economic uncertainty, we are locked down. We are, we are adjusting we are, we are making it. We're just getting by. And some of us, just by a thread, we're getting by. We ask ourselves the question, where is the hope? Where is the hope? Our hope does not rest in a government solution. Our hope is not dependent upon circumstances. Our hope is not even found in a vaccination. Our hope is resting solely on a man who proved that he is more than a man. Our hope rests in the only name, Jesus, the name above all other names, the name that walked out of the grave, the name that has changed my life. And he wants to change yours as well. Jesus is our living hope. Friends, that's the greatest news. It's the greatest news to ever break is that the tomb is empty. And because of that, we have a personal invitation into heaven. We have a personal invitation to be right with the Father. You have a personal invitation from Jesus. He knows your name. If you want to receive Jesus today, if there has been some distance between you, maybe you haven't full-fledged deny him, but maybe you have drifted, then I want to give you that opportunity right now. We're going to pray. And if you want Jesus in your life, if you want to accept that glorious, glorious invitation, would you bow your heads with me right now? Jesus, today is your day. Today is Resurrection Sunday. And I am so grateful that you walked out of that grave. Because you walked out of that grave, you proved who you said you were. And you said that you were the king. You said that you are God. And Lord, because of that, we believe you. And we put our faith in you. Lord, some of us right now, we want to give our hearts to you all over again. And some of us, we want to do it for the first time. So Lord, would you receive our faith? Would you receive our, our response to your invitation? We put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. We believe in you, Lord. And we ask that you would take that and take it right to the Father and say, look, look who I brought. He's home. She is home. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. 
Thank you for loving us on the cross and proving how much you love us by the resurrection. We love you back. In your name we pray. Amen.